Hey, this is Russell, and I work at the video store. I love this job because when the store is quiet, I get to watch movies and series and talk about them with my friends that work here. And interesting people pop in to rent something. Each week, we can help you figure out what you could be watching on streaming platforms and out in cinemas. All right, look at the time. Let's open up the shop. How's it, Getty? Hey, Risky. Hello, everyone listening. Welcome to the video store. It is a nice, bright morning here. <laughs> it's starting to get warmer. Are you feeling fresh? Always fresh. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. I've, I've traveled the world with you. You're not always fresh, but I appreciate the, I, the enthusiasm. I, I feel fresh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, today on the show, we are going to have Rob van Furen pop in to rent something this is very exciting i love rob i'm oh. a, I'm a very big fan of rob rob is an actor a theater performer theater maker and uh, most popularly known as twaki in the corner and twaki show i guess the they, most amazing show yeah they, they they did theater performances there was a there was a tv show at one point there was lots of stuff that came out as corner and twaki and rob has performed in uh, incredible number of theater performances, film, television, um, and has most recently found this incredible fame, which is so deserving for his latest character, who is the Namaste Bay. And um, a lot of people uh, know him for that now. And there's so much more to now discover once you get to know Rob. So he's going to pop in to rent something, uh, which is very exciting. And we hosted him at the Bioscope. So this is a chance for him to um, be at the store and, and come and have a chat, which I'm excited about. Um, we are then, after this chat with Rob, myself and Gad are going to have a little chat about what we're watching. Yeah. Uh, there are some cool TV shows, some films coming out, some films we've seen. Um, myself and Gad uh, were both at the premiere for Sound of Freedom, which we spoke a little bit about. Uh, I spoke to Graham about last week. But I want to get into it a little bit more with Gad. Yeah, and just quite a movie. Quite a movie. And uh, certainly some stuff around it to chat about. So we'll chat a little bit more about that after. And um, so please stick around for that. All right. Uh, let's get into it. Definitely. Let's not waste any time. All right. This is Rob Van Furen popping in to rent something. How's it? Lacquer. Have we started? <laughs> yeah, I put my phone down. No, don't stress. <laughs> How's it? How are you, man? Lekker. So good. It's so nice to be in your little bioscope here. Thank you, man. It Thank is you such, for having me. It is such an honor to have you. Thank you. We we had you perform here, well, when we were back in Mabaneng, you did one, I think one or two shows. Yes. Just one show. And then we entered into this very lovely agreement with the theater next door to us, Pop Art, yep. where they would do live performance and we would do cinema. Yes. So we didn't do stand-up comedy or, or, or things. Um, and now we've both since left Mabuneng, we've settled here, Pop Art does stuff in our space and other people's spaces, and so it was so great to have you back. Yeah, <laughs> I was chatting to um, Hales outside from Pop Art, and I, that was the last time I actually did a show, in, a full show in Joburg, was I did a play called Dangled at, at Pop Art, and then prior to that was when I think 
I you did it. stuff. Yeah, you were just sort of Rob from Fear and Live. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think it was anything specific. It was yeah. just probably be more stand up, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But oh, we have just witnessed you give the most incredible healing ceremony here. <laughs> and in a matter of hours, you're going to do it again. Another one. And, um, and you. Of all our time while here at the Bioscope this week, you you were okay and opted with doing this chat now, which is amazing. <laughs> and it I made sense at the time. I don't yeah. know what I was thinking. <laughs> but no, I mean, this is at least going to be a nice, fun, light, light chat. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, no. You've decided that already. Well, I'm going to try my best <laughs> okay, to fine. not make it too serious. Um but it's, I think all of this is testament to how hard you work and your work ethic. And I think it's incredible. Thank you. And you work hard. <laughs> you do work hard. And so that, as you walked into the bioscope today, you, you, you did express the fact that you are quite tired. I'm tired. I'm old. I'm quite old for the, the level of shit I'm putting myself through. <laughs> Just in this show alone. Yeah, because you don't take it to 100%. You probably take it to about 250%. Yeah, it's, it's, it's redlining. It's redlining throughout most of the show. If this was a generator or an inverter to speak in <laughs> terms that South Africans would understand, you would have increased the load and you would have blown totally. the, the singes. Um, you are a man of many characters. And I'd love to, over the course of our chat... Um, go back to some of the earlier plays and, and, and things that you've done. But as of right now, you are really enjoying this character that you've created called the Namaste Bay. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I think it's been wildly popular. Is it safe to say that it's one of the more successful characters you've created? Definitely. Uh, um, I mean, the fact that it went viral... Uh, I've never ex I've never experienced anything like that. You know, when we did Corner and Twacky, it's it's this a similar kind of energy to the way people responded to Corner and Twacky in the beginning. It is a similar vibe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, this and in terms of the kind of style of the show and the audience interaction, there's definite crossover. And Lo, who's coordinated from the most amazing show, actually directed um, Namaste Bay, the oh. stage show. So there's definitely like a an element rooted in in that, and I applied a lot of the the lessons I learned from that. But what's interesting is that happened. It was also very um, kind of viral before viral existed. Word, word of mouth spread really, really quickly about the show and there was a real buzz about it, but it was before social media. So you're talking about Kone and, and Twaki. Yeah, totally. Whereas this has, is happened on, on, on social media and it's, and the, the scope of it in terms of a global reach is something I've never experienced. Yeah. I, f I find it interesting and I think you could appreciate this you know, when we were coming up, creating things, you know, I've been in a band and I've done all these things. You don't really know necessarily how to use Instagram. Mm. And when and, and so I was explaining to someone who's this young up and coming musician who's doing so well on Instagram, especially. I realized that in the early days, a place like Instagram was a place to show good photos. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yes. And so like it, it was a bit of pictures. a... Yeah, and it was a bit of a show off in the early stages about how good our photos were. Yes. And, and so it became a bit of a wanky wank in that regard. And yeah. then that got discarded and now it is just a broadcast channel. Yeah. So someone who is incessant in broadcasting now does really well. Yeah. So it's amazing to see how it's changed. And so when you now develop a character, you're primed to, to use those tools properly. Yeah, and 
what's interesting about this character is that it wouldn't have existed without Instagram, actually, because I was just messing around and on I, the platform. Because, I mean, you, you've everyone tries to to do the viral thing, but whenever you try to do it, it never works. So I'd yeah. kind of given up on that, and I was just trying to play on on the on the platform and. It happened on a whim. I was just out swimming one day and I, the voice popped into my head and I just did the video. And for some reason, I think it's got a lot to do with how the alternative health and wellness kind of revolution is, is so kind of front of mind over the last five years. Yeah. I think that obviously had a lot to do with it in terms of the timing of the character. Yeah, I had no, I had no idea it would reach as far as it reached. That first yeah. video, literally filmed it, went for a swim, came back out the water and I looked at my phone, I had numbers unlike anything I'd ever seen. I was like, oh, okay. Now, yeah, I, I got the sense that you'd stumbled into it. Totally, cool. totally by mistake. And then the next, then I was like, okay, I better do a next video. As I was walking home, I did it, same numbers. And then in those first like five videos, I literally just as I was playing, started to find the things that then became the, the structure of the um of the reels themselves, the name of the character, catchphrases. It all kind of happened really quickly and really organically. The name, for instance, Namaste Bay, was actually a friend of mine, Lauren Fowler, who designs all my merch and um, yeah. posters and things. She commented uh, hashtag Namaste Bay on one of my early, early reels, like the third one. And I was like, oh my God, that's his name. That's so that's Brilliant. cool. Was that first video the one with like the sanitary pad? Yes, the... someone had left and used... <laughs> Sanitary pad in my favorite swimming spot, which is now known as the Penguin Cave of Desire. <laughs> and I was like, oh God, I got to do a video about this. That's and so then funny. I did it in the voice and it just went crazy. And I think my fifth one, there was one I'd talk about in, um, ingesting LSD activated charcoal. And that blew up. It's like, it's nearly got 2 million views now. It was shared by Josh Brolin, Thanos. Wild. Wild. Um, yeah, crazy. So the, so to get back to your original question, like I've never had this kind of scale of success for a character in terms of the, the global reach it's gotten. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of what you've done has been these, these theater productions and obviously that's a, quite a limited audience. I mean, you've done films yes, and I know you've been very niche. Things, it's very, you're where, only playing to those people in the room, you know, and where you've shone. And I think where people kind of see the best of you is in those improvised moments on, on stage. And they're very hard to capture. I, yeah. I remember being quite excited that there was going to be a Corne and Twaki show. And I know you guys did it and it was great and you did your best. But I remember in that moment also going like, there is something magical about being in the room. Oh, yeah. And there is something about being a part of it. Totally. And so what we've just witnessed now at the Bioscope was you doing this healing ceremony where you've identified people in the audience mm -hmm. and you've made them part of the show. Yeah. And in a nice, fun, encouraging way. Like you've never, it's not about picking on people. No, absolutely You pick not. on them in a, well, you've identified them, but then you play with them in a very fun, respectful way. Yeah, and way. it's all consensual as well. It's like very totally. important that people agree to do the things I ask them to and, do. And it's just fun. And it, and you, yeah, you up them and you encourage them and, it's, and, and it never feels like a problem. And that reminded me now of the magic of those Corny and Twaki mm. shows. Mm. Um, and so I'd love to venture back a bit um, just to speak of some of those things because it reminded me a lot of Grahamstown and it re okay. reminded me of being somewhere and I thought I'd just share the fact that um, when I was 19, 20, start of varsity, going to Grahamstown helped identify, helped help me craft my identity. Yeah. 
I came back more cultured. Yeah. I came back more just with my mind full or blown. I can totally and, relate know. to that. That was my experience going to the festival in, in high school. Just going like, oh my God, this is, this is my tribe. Yeah, <laughs> these know? are my people. These totally. are my people, yeah, totally. And, and you just, yeah, you spend your nights at the long table and you just, you know, I remember someone saying, no, as you arrive, you've got to go straight to the ticket office and, and, and get those tickets now because they're not going to be around later. Yeah. Like, yeah. like identify the ones. And so you actually plan your itinerary. And I remember watching you, it felt, perhaps you can confirm whether this, my memory was right, but I watched you do something like electric juju. Oh, wow. And then later that night, it felt like you were then corner and Twaki. Oh yeah. That's, that, that's not a, more than likely. More would, than likely. Yeah, I would yeah. always go to the fest. I don't do it as much anymore because it's too exhausting, but I would go with at least three or four shows and then I would perform as much as possible. So I'd end up doing over the 11 days upwards of, you know, 30 shows, 33 shows. So I was doing on average like three to four shows a day. And I remember just seeing that and admiring once again the work ethic, which was like, fuck, this is incredible. But just to speak specifically about Electric Juju, how far away is that from you? Because you developed it's, that, right? Yeah, yeah, it's always very, very, very close to my heart. Also okay. because that giant heart, the prop that I use in the, in the show. Yeah, is in my garage. <laughs> it's taking up so much space. I can't. I can't remember too specifically what the what the whole play was about. So it was about. It was like a fantasy um, story. This old man in this other uh, world discovers a giant's body semi-submerged in the desert, and in this world, uh, there are like magical artifacts can be sold off at the mark this big marketplace, and the giant's heart is the most valuable of magical artifacts. So he. Um, kind of excavates, opens up the ribcage of the giant and then excavates this heart. And the show starts with you seeing this old man kind of trekking through the desert with this giant kind of yes. ungainly shape on his back, which ends up, which you discover is a giant's heart. And then there's a little girl. And did you, you, did you write that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but that was like a love letter to my love affair with, with uh, fantasy and the fantasy genre. Um, writers like Terry Pratchett, uh, Neil Gaiman, Clive Barker. Was um, like, and growing up with movies like Never Ending Story and Labyrinth and that kind of thing, you know, that was my... I think the important thing to mention at this point, because obviously perhaps there's, there's people that obviously haven't seen it, you you played every character. Yeah. And there were these scenes where you literally just flipped between three or four people in a scene. And I remember just having my little uncultured brain blown in that moment going like, fuck it. I can see five people on the stage. Yeah, I can see was, them. You see, I I had a very similar similar kind of moment when I watched Andrew Buckland perform for the first time, okay. and that's and I you know I went to study at Rhodes because I wanted to study under him because I yeah. he would play a whole host of characters. He would do an epic narrative with just one person on stage, and and what you experience in your head is completely filmic. You yeah. see all the details. You see the different characters. It's incredible. It, yeah. So I, that was something I was totally wanted to get into and it's also in terms of the reality of you know trying to make a living off theater and the arts is you can't really afford to have a whole cast of actors on stage sometimes it's out of necessity yeah yeah. so it's like i'm just going to do it on my own and then when you know realize okay my uh, my restrictions are that tight somehow that can really free you in terms of what is possible in terms of a show the narrative that you want to kind of explore is it going, okay, well, I've only got one person, then it's almost too tight for me to, to think in that way. I've got to go, mm. well, let, let me explode that and do, just write a story that is, seems impossible for one person to do. 
<laughs> and then figure out a way of making that happen. Lovely. Yeah. Um, so in that time, perhaps the electric juju time, as you said, there were there were those science fiction stories. Perhaps just to flavor this conversation with a little bit of film and cinema, what were what were some of those sci-fi films? You said Labyrinth? Fantasy. Let's okay, not fantasy. confuse our genres sorry, here, Russ. Sorry, sorry, Please. sorry, sorry. Um, specifically fantasy, yeah. I think more specifically fantasy, although I suppose there was a... They, they do sometimes get bundled together, yes, but they are remarkably different. And I also yeah. did a... I did a play prior to that actually called... My very first one-man show was Mung, and that had a sci-fi kind of element to oh, it. cool. Where this uh, a hero guy gets murdered and his sidekick gets transported to another plane where there's aliens and things like that. Um also did a show called Lunaspasm, which was all set in space as well. So <laughs> I guess there is maybe a whole sci-fi thing happening. Um, but I, I love the idea. I've always been a fan, as I say, of the, of the genre and particularly novels. Uh, and growing up, like, I loved, I love Never Ending Story. Okay, I was like, going to say, what are some of the old times? I, like, love that movie. Someone, post, someone posted the other day that they were in some woman's garage or somewhere and they've got, like, the dog's head. No ways. Yeah. Falco. Falco is Oh my God. You know, you speaking about how you still have the heart from electric yeah. juju. It's like, someone was like, I'm just in this random place and look at that. It's Falco's it's head. Falco. Oh my God. Okay. So never ending story was a big yeah, one. Yeah, definitely. And have you, have you uh, played that for your kids? It still slaps, eh? It does. But my daughter's like 12. So like okay. nothing, <laughs> nothing I possibly bring to her is interesting in any way, shape or form. It's, it's instantaneously lame. Like, uh, forget about it. Well, she might appreciate the Barbie movie because because the Barbie movie has been specifically made for anyone, probably a little more female in in its sentiment than male, but anyone who's like just moved on from that. Right. So it's made for. Did anyone, you watch it? Yeah. Today. Oh, I, right. I watched it uh, last week. I had a chance to see a little okay. pre-screening. Is it good? It's it's cool. Yeah. It's fun, and it's it's. There was the original question was like, is this going to be for kids? And right. you realize like it's specifically not. It's right. it's to target the market of everyone older. Yes. And literally when like a girl is like the age of your daughter, where it's like, okay, this is now uncool yeah. to play with Barbies. Right. And the film is setting out to kind of rebuild the world's perception of Barbie uh, once you've moved on from it. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if she she digs it. You know what she did like that I showed her was Beetlejuice. Oh, cool. Yeah. And okay. she didn't admit to it straight away. Okay. But it came out a couple of other days, like a couple of days ago, and she was like, she, it, she referenced it in some way. She was like, yeah, it was a cool movie. I was like, yes. <laughs> yes. That movie also changed and my life. I just, I love the idea that, you know, for many, and especially for myself, I see you as a national treasure. But for her, she's, you're like the uncool dad. <laughs> the uncool dad. <laughs> no matter what you do. It's just like, really? Okay, um, so Never Ending Story. And then what were some of the other films that were a part of your, like, that sort of seminal 20s when you kind of figuring out your... 20s? Well, your, yeah, your okay. sort of varsity well, let, let me first creative say, juices. Let me first tell you the, my, the, the first movie that changed the way that I thought and made me want to be an actor, actually. Mm. It was, I was very young when I saw it, it was The Goonies. Okay. That, uh, the Steven Spielberg. Sure. Um, I don't think he actually directed it. I think he produced it. it was, was it Richard Donner that directed it? His name was definitely on the credits. I'm going to, I can't think of it. Anyway, that movie I loved. And it opens with a, with a, cha- like, uh, a chase sequence mm. um, where 
they're doing like there's a getaway and the cops are chasing the, the baddies and they shoot yeah. the gun at the car and then it comes past this milkshake shop where Chunk is busy getting a milkshake and he the cars drive past and he squishes his milkshake uh, milkshake up against the window and he says, holy shit. And in that moment, I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be that kid. I want to be that kid. Yeah. Okay. And, and How I old were you walk, at that point? I, I must have been like 10, 11. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, obviously, I couldn't be in movies because I was growing up on a farm in the Eastern Cape. So I was about to say, where, did, where, where are we at this point? Yeah, Eastern Cape, rural farm. Middle, middle of nowhere. Yeah, I went to a school called Lillyfontaine. Okay. Which is actually now quite a fancy kind of adventure school. <laughs> what is an adventure school? <laughs> it's something that you ch- charge a lot of money for. It was an adventure school when I was there, but it was <laughs> in the for wrong. all the wrong reasons. <laughs> um, yeah, and then I, I think my, my love affair with theatre began in high school going to um, the National Arts Festival. And that was kind of, I could access that world and go, oh, I can do this. I can write stories and do okay, that. Okay, because, yeah, if you were in Eastern Cape, I guess Grahamstown wasn't far away. So was well, that I part actually moved the... to Peter Maritzburg for high school. So I was in high school in Maritzburg and then went back to, to um, Grahamstown for, okay. for varsity. Uh, but to answer your question about 20 seminal movies, uh, definitely Apocalypse Now. Ah. Absolutely, I was obsessed with that film. Apocalypse Now, Taxi Driver, those two in particular, I just would watch. I watched. Over um, and over again. I watched that. The final cut. You know, there've been so many cuts of Apocalypse Now. The Redux. Yeah, there was the Redux at one point. Now this is like about, final, about final. three or four years ago. Two, three years ago. I think it was pre-COVID. They they had the final cut, oh, wow. and it was on IMAX. And let me tell you, it was as if that was shot yesterday. Really? The only thing that gave it away date-wise was the Vangelis soundtrack. Oh, right. That kind of like real 80s keyboard. Yeah. It's like, that's not even ironic. <laughs> like no one would fucking do that now. <laughs> but like just the quality of that picture and just everything about it. I was like, fuck, this is cool. It's, it's a, a cool movie. Really. It's incredible Okay. Form, All right. Yeah. So Apocalypse Now. Yeah. There's a great question, which is what do you tell people is your favorite film and what is your actual Actually favorite, your favorite film? <laughs> There was one thing with, with Ryan Gosling, and I think he said, like, yeah, I tell people it's The Godfather or something, but it's actually Step Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, it's probably Beetlejuice or The Goonies. Or... Yeah, it's oh. interesting that there's going to be a, a, there will be a Beetlejuice um, sequel, Is as it? far as I know. Really? It's in the works, yeah. With I think Michael the, Keaton? I think so. I think the fans like sort of pushed it, especially as when he came back into the forefront yes, with Birdman Bird and, yeah. and stuff. And I believe it's happening. Oh. <gasps> There's also a musical. Have you seen the musical? No. There's a stage musical for what? Beetlejuice, oh which God. is one of those things you can see if you've got fuck tons of money. Yeah, yeah. I, I hear it's amazing. <laughs> I'm sure it's amazing. So, what is what is on the cards for you these days? Sure. Um, well, obviously, I'm touring this Namaste Bay show as much as possible. Uh, I'm going into uh, uh, a production of a stage production of. Uh, my brain I'm going into a stage show a theatre show from August to November so that's going to take up a lot of my time and that is a stage adaptation of um, Damon Gulgut's Booker Prize winning novel The Promise okay Um, it's directed by Sylvain Strike ooh yeah and it's got an ensemble cast of just the most incredible actors and actresses like Deeply excited about working this, with this group of people. We've done a week of workshops. That was amazing. Okay. Really cool creative team behind it. Damon was in the room with us uh, for that week of workshops as well. And kind of seeing, because he's never done a stage play as well. 
Okay. So, so, so sorry, Damon's the writer. He's the author, yeah. And where is he based? Uh, London, I think. Okay. I think he's based in London. Yeah, so um, that we'll do, we're running in Cape Town and Joburg, and then hopefully next year we could go as far as uh, London, New York, Sydney. Lovely. You know, there's, there's talk afoot about that. But I've, what I've also been doing is a lot of film. I've been okay. doing a lot more film over the last couple of years, and it's been a part of my career that I've always wanted to develop further because my first love was actually film. You know, okay. It was The Goonies. It was yeah. Beetlejuice. Like that's was I didn't, growing up as a kid on a farm in East London. I didn't have access to theatre until yeah. I, in high school when I went to the festival. But prior to that, it was all film. So whenever I wrote for theatre, I was also writing filmically in my. You were thinking quite cinematically. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So and what's happened? We struggled with film t- because I was always so involved in theatre stuff yeah. for so long and live stuff. So because. Film projects, it always depends on whether you're available or not. They always change their dates. And yeah. if you're a busy actor, it's actually quite difficult to get film work. Funny. Yeah. Uh, and then what happened during lockdown is that everything shut down. I had a c- complete nervous breakdown and realized I am like have this post-traumatic <laughs> stress disorder from my trauma relationship with live performance and the fact that I've been doing so much of it. And doing four to five shows a day and like pushing myself too hard. I was like, this is interesting. Yeah. So when lockdown hit, it was like, oh my God, this is saving my life. And I was like, the last place I want to be on is stage. I, yeah. I thought I was an introvert. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd realized, I'd also been so overly stimulated. Yeah. I was like, oh, I remember saying hashtag hermit lust. I made that up. <laughs> and, um, and then after about two or three weeks, I was like, oh, good Lord, yeah. I'm an extrovert. Need, like yeah. I need people, need people. to, to, yeah, water yeah. my garden, so to speak. But no, but I think a lot of people did. And here's something you might find interesting is that when we came out and we started doing shows again at the Bioscope, um, we were often doing like a Friday night and a Saturday night of the exact same play or a musician doing two nights at the Bioscope. And people were opting more for the Saturday night, which to me in my somewhat experience Friday night was always the party night and Saturday was a little harder to get them out. Right. And it almost to me felt as if Friday was now this day where you're not going to party anymore. You're actually going to rest because you've done this week. You're now working again. You're now perhaps perhaps going into the office again. You're now in traffic again. Yeah. You're stimulated again and you've, you've, you've learned over the course of COVID that your mental health is important. Yeah. You, you, you've gotten the sort of serenity of being at home and looking after yourself a bit more. You, th- you think we're better at pacing ourselves? Yeah, I think pre-COVID, we just went balls to the wall. So you would party hard and do yeah. things and go to events and do Friday night. And then Saturday was like pajamas. Yeah, right. That was no. my experience. I, I know, I And get so you. now it, f- it felt more like Friday night is actually like people were chilling. Uh. And then Saturday is like the new Friday. Yeah, I think we just became a lot more self-aware as well. And I, that was my experience. It was like, I'm really burnt out. I don't want to be on stage. Everyone was immediately like, oh, when are the theatres going to open again? I was like, please. Not anytime just soon. Just give me a few more weeks. And then what happened is the film industry opened up before anything else in, in, in entertainment because they, were, they could adapt to the protocols a lot quicker. Yeah. So then, and now I was available because yeah. there's no there's no. Okay, theater. so then you were able to do so then I was film. getting more film work and I'd... Uh, one of the first projects I did was um, this really fun remake, um, kind of a feminist take remake on this cult 80s slasher movie 
called Slumber Party Massacre. Oh, I've, heard, I've heard about this. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, it was shot in, in South Africa over 18 days, like really quick, with this Canadian director, Danishka, and she was amazing. Her relationship with, our, with the DOP, Trevor, was just fascinating to watch. It was so, they worked so well and so quickly and so carefully. I was cast as the Russ Thorne, the drill-wielding maniac killer, uh, cool. which was so, so much fun. And I immediately realized, okay, this is actually where I'm happiest right now is on a film set. And since then, I've just been getting more and more film work. Because there, there is a pace to it. Like, you are able to chill. You are able to get yourself ready. It's, and look, I don't it's wanna, not as demanding. It's actually way easier. I mean, no, look, they're obviously, sure. they're film projects that are very, very demanding and the, the hours can be very difficult in the environment. Like I shot a film in the desert and the, you know, it, the elements hard, can be yeah. difficult, but still, yeah, it's paced a lot better or something. And, and you, only, you know what I like about it is you're doing one job. Like yeah. when, I'm on, when I'm doing a stage show and I'm producing it, it's, I'm doing like five different jobs. I'm worried about ticket sales. I'm writing the thing. I'm rehearsing it. I'm, you know, I'm sticking up posters or I'm, making the Instagram reels. I'm, I'm juggling so many different yeah. balls. Yeah. Um, whereas on a film set, you I'm playing one character. And you can chill in your trailer. Chill in my trailer. I learn my lines for that character. Someone else is directing the thing. There's a whole, I'm just a small cog in a big machine, which yeah. I really love. Because so often on stage, it's just me. Yeah. So I love the opportunity to be just a, a cog in the machine. And that's the beautiful thing about filmmaking yeah. as, a, as an art form is, I think it's the, truly the most collaborative art form there is because there's so many different departments and different mm. skill levels operating to make this work of art. There's like, I mean, you think about all the departments involved in, in a film and each one is a small but integral part of the whole. Yeah. Um, so I really love that about, about filmmaking. And yeah. I've been doing a lot more of it this year. I've, like this year I shot this really cool um, period horror movie called The Trek out in the desert, which... Oh. I'm really looking forward to seeing. When is that going to come out? Um, I think they are hoping, the last I heard, they were trying to push for before the end of the year okay. for a festival circuit release. Uh, I, I think it's quite a quick turnaround because we only sh finished shooting like a month or two ago. But um, definitely next year that'll be doing in the rounds. So has, has Slumber Party Massacre come out? Yes, it was like, okay. it, it, we shot that in 2020. So Okay, where, where is that? I think it's on the Sci-Fi Channel. It was originally okay. shot for the Sci-Fi Channel, and then okay, it did cool. festival circuits. I don't know what um, if there are any streaming platforms that it's available on. Yeah, we'll go, um, we'll go search. But it's a really fun movie. It's yeah. actually really, really cool. A couple of those movies that you think are going to be like they're sort of presented like they're B grade, mm. but they're not. No, they're, they're actually like a lot smarter yeah. and better. It's like, this this one in particular has got this really clever feminist slant on it and, and, and the initial film was written by a woman and directed by a woman and it it had a, a, a feminist commentary to it so the, and this has just taken it to the next level and, from oh, this cool. perspective and the, the the kind of gender ob, uh, objectification that happens in in horror movies it gets swapped in this movie so there's uh -huh. the girls decide to go fuck it we're gonna go kill this guy and they like they oh, set up cool. the whole thing and they gonna, they're gonna slash him there's a group of boys at this, like, obviously it's at a summer camp by, the, yeah. by a lake kind of yeah. thing. There's a group of pretty boys who end up having a slow motion yeah. pillow fight sequence. Oh, you know? So it's, it's really fun oh, from that cool. perspective. We must dig it out. Yeah. I, I know there's one of the films perhaps I can rent and uh, to you and maybe it could be, mm, I, think it, I think it could be enough to desensitize your daughter. Um, uh, there's a film called The Babysitter. Yeah. 
which is also like one of those sort of body horror fun night everything goes wrong right. but it's it's i remember it in my head being a lot smarter and better than i thought the babysitter i think it's the babysitter they might have even been a sequel but i think i think she could she could dig she it into but i mean this is about you now okay <laughs> Fine. um no but i think you could i think you could appreciate it um but speaking of that 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 smarter humor in disguise i think that's been your magic that Thank someone you. like twaki on face value seems very silly yeah um, and even obviously the Namaste as well, but there's such intelligence behind it. <laughs> yeah, and it, I just, love... and it comes to you quick enough that you, as the audience member, are, are smart enough to know, like, okay, this is a smart dude. Yeah, I mean, there's an element of satire and commentary in in, in all the work that I do, but it, but there's also an element of clowning. So, and I love those two art forms. I love clowning. I love physical comedy. I love I love like a slapstick gag, yeah, yeah. and I also love kind of presenting that as the like presenting a show in the guise of that yeah but then and then then kind of once people are in there yeah. then you peel back the layers and i love yeah. i love language i love wordplay and i love like having something to talk about or to satirize or to kind of unpick yeah so yeah i love i love putting those those two things together and it, uh, above all it has to be fun it has to be funny yeah it's not funny then you can't you can't get them with the with the message or with yeah. the kind of you know the deeper meaning of it. If it's not yeah. funny, that that shit doesn't come. So first and foremost, it's got to be funny. I loved uh, another play that you did. Um, also, one of the other, one of the years at Grahamstown was Brother Number, mm. which was such a unique story. Which um, I th- think I can encapsulate it well enough. You and um, James, Jose Domingos, actually. I saw you oh, do no, with James. Oh, no, I think you. I thought you were talking about Bangalore Torpedo. Sorry, <laughs> so, which is there's a so show. many of these in your head. <laughs> so Bangalore Torpedo was a show I wrote with Jose Domingos and Michelle Vilmers that okay. James gave me the title for. Okay, James has always given me titles for shows. Okay. Before I know what the show is, he'll give me the title. Oh, interesting. Um, yes, brother number was with James. James and I wrote that together. And 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 you guys created this this feeling as if you were in this dark cavernous space underneath home affairs underneath home affairs yeah. where you and he was your brother his two brothers the two brothers yeah. and, and and you you were the people who just de- who decided someone's id number yes and we, you would craft it on the book like and through magic like the one the one brother was it's almost the like you were guy. these sentient beings that that yeah they're like, like the precogs in in um um what's that colin feral um sci-fi uh, the precogs that could see the de- the murders before they happened. Oh yes, yes, yes. Oh, this is going. <laughs> anyway, whatever. Um, yeah. So the two brothers, they they would um, with Tom and Cruise. It's like some sort of yes, that's it. Yeah. Um, Minority Report. Minority Report. There we go. That's right. Okay. <laughs> Solved. Um, yeah. These two brothers, they were. It was kind of through apartheid um, shenanigans that the the this big high up fun fun. An ace or something yeah. discovered these two brothers that had this special skill of being able to create <laughs> ID books and like that's what we need so they like, locked them in this little cavernous room underneath yeah. home affairs with the one guy's kind of drawing numbers out of the ether for the people and the other brothers <laughs> drawing the like the, 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 bu- the numbers in the book in yeah. the book exactly and then there's an um, an ATM yeah there's yeah. an ATM heist in home affairs someone explodes an ATM machine and it opens up a like it opens up the their room and suddenly they're like, oh shit, there's a whole yeah. there's a whole thing. So they're then kind of 
the rest of the players, them trying to mission through home affairs. And, and, and in your head, you see it. You see the corridors. Yeah, you, yeah, see totally. the, you see everything. <laughs> it's so smart because it's like, yeah, I don't know whether you studied things like the Plato's Cave, but it's like, it's that vibe. You know, it's, it, there's, there's a thought behind like, this idea of you sort of, le- you know, not knowing your existence. Your existence is just shadows cast on the wall of the cave, but you're not aware that there's actually people that are casting the ah. shadows. This is Plato's cave theory. Ah, okay. I have and, not studied Plato's cave theory. It's like just that. one, of, I think it's a sort of philosophy sort of l- lesson, uh, well, idea. And then the idea is that once you've realized this, your life can't be the same. You can't, you can't go back to just right. looking at the shadows on the yes, wall. You, yes. You're a different person. Right. Um, and I felt that with Brother Number. Oh, wow, that's so um, cool. But just as we talk about these things and me talking about my memories of, of Grahamstown, I just am so happy and proud that I've created one of these moments now, like that I've been able to host yeah. you and that over the course of these nights at the Bioscope, I've brought the, that magic into my space. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I just thank wanted to thank you, you for grateful. doing that. It's been such a long time since I've done a show in Joburg, so it's been so what, what, do, what do you think has stopped you? I, th- I mean, obviously there was pandemic that put a whole kind of sure, sure. But I, I mean, I've come back and I've done I've done like lineup gigs on stand up shows, and but to bring a full show, yeah, it's expensive. Yeah, you know? sure, it's expensive to get you. And we've been in a recession for so long to sell tickets is 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 tricky and it's a risk. Risk that I often don't necessarily can afford to take. Sure. Whereas with this show, there's such a groundswell with it and with the character and with the Instagram. It's like I know I can sell I, the tickets. I, I had friends who they they don't really even know exactly what I do that knew you were coming. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, there are the kind of people that know. Thing. Oh, Russell has a cinema. Like they don't necessarily yeah. come and watch. No, They're the incredible. kind of people that go like, oh, I really, you know, should come and watch a movie. And it's like, if you, you want to. You know I have a cinema. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but they were like, oh, yeah, he's, he's coming. They knew yeah. about it. Yeah, it's amazing. They even sent me links like I didn't know you were promoting it. I'm like, that's right. <laughs> shows, are, shows are happening at the Viascope. So yeah. it was just so nice that you've broken out of, you've broken out of the theater scene mm. in this one. Because, oh, yeah. because you've now, you're now just hitting people on their couches. Yeah, you've now just gone viral in this other way. Yeah, and it's so in terms cool. of the show, it's eliminated a lot of the the risk for me. I just know I can sell tickets. I know I'm not going to lose money. And and so you must have once this character was building. I'm sure it didn't take you long before you were like, "I'll make a play." <laughs> yes, it was. I did the first video on the 17th of November. By the end of the year, by like mid December, I was on a hundred thousand followers. Or the end of December, mm. and I was on nine thousand when I started. On the seventeenth of November, wow. nine thousand, and then I jumped to a hundred thousand in a month and a half. And by the end of December, I was like, "Okay, I have to write a stage show," because I was also getting frustrated with the, the limit of it. The limit of it, yeah. And my comfort zone is like an hour. That's when I know I can give you the full kind of context yeah. of this character and, and all the it, the murky shit beneath the surface. I was curious. Yeah. I was I was very curious to see how you could expand it to an hour. And in my head, I thought, would I get tired of this character? Yeah. Of course, I knew I wouldn't because I knew I was dealing with well, it, I mean, that's, a national treasure. But but I was like, this is what's curious, is that like, can we put up with him for an hour? For a full hour, yeah. But of course we can. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I think a lot. what happens with a lot of people who become viral 
is that that's as far as they can take it, is like those short little things. They mm. don't necessarily have the skill set to They haven't to, been doing Grahamstown for I've been 30 doing, years. Yeah, the yeah, 30 years I've been doing this. So for me, it was like the obvious next step is a full, is a full hour because that's really where I'm good, actually. Mm. This one minute, 90 seconds is like, it's not my comfort zone at all. So the, so the writing of the show actually for me was, and, and I knew with the show I was going to be giving people who know the character online, I was going to be giving them way more mm. than what they bargained for and way more than what they expect. And because I know dramatic structure so well, especially like a one act, one hour kind mm. of space, I know that just so intuitively and from so much experience, I knew I could make it work. And I knew there was enough stuff in the character. Yeah, meat to, on the bones. Yeah, yeah. To, to really bring something. I think there's, it's endless. I mean, it's just, it's people's so idea. Much, yeah. of, how do you encapsulate that, what that commentary is? You sort of said it earlier better. It's, it's I mean, he's a charlatan, shaman, um, it, it, dealing with satirizing the alternative health and wellness revolution and particularly the commodification. The of, commodification of, of it, ancient, yeah healing practices <laughs> <laughs> and um, trauma tourism. Is that a real term? No, it's something I made Okay, up. good. <laughs> I was about to say, I really don't want that But to it's be a, a thing. thing. A lot of people go like travel all around the world to take very powerful psychotropic substances <laughs> that could potentially break them in like a middle of a jungle in the middle of nowhere <laughs> oh my God, uh, to a... purge them trauma or to create more trauma for themselves. I, I met a dude the other day and, and we were talking about, you know, what are your plans for the rest of the weekend? This bro's answer was like, <laughs> Um, he, he was a wealthy guy he's a lovely dude um, so I don't mean to speak badly about him but I was like that was not the answer I was <laughs> expecting he was saying his like shaman is in town this good this dude from Brazil and we are basically going to take frog poison yeah and so I Cumber. I don't know. I don't I've done Kumba. Have you done it? So look, this character in Amastebe comes from personal experience in <laughs> this okay. space. I was about I've to done say. the ayahuasca ceremonies. I've done the Kumbo. Kumbo? Yeah. What is that? So it's this frog poison that gets burnt into fucking <laughs> back. You have to drink like, I don't know, four liters of water beforehand. And yeah. then you get, in your arm, you get burnt like you burn a hole and then you get smear the frog poison into that wound you've just burnt into your arm. And at this point, were you doing this for funsies, ironically? I mean, was, I was a part of you taking it a bit seriously? I was tr I was trying to deal with trauma, trying to deal with... Um, so this wasn't in fun reference to get no, shit for numbers. No, 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 this no, was I was you, on a journey. This to, was you in this seriousness. Post, it, it's, you know, um, as lockdown hit, my marriage... Uh, kind of came to an end. We went on a journey together to try and figure out how do we save our marriage. Okay. And that was part of the journey that we went on. Um, and yeah, and also trying to come to terms with the, the, the depression that I was experiencing, lockdown, okay. bringing all that stuff up and going like, fuck, I'm burnt out. Who, who am I? Where am I? What am I? Okay. And so that was the kind of, and, and, okay. and, and, okay. and yeah. that's why the show isn't, like, as you say, it's not, it's not vacuous. Yeah. And I'm not just poking fun at this space because it's a space I actually respect and that was very helpful for me. Yeah. Incredibly helpful. I found a lot of those experiences deeply, deeply cathartic and healing and, and, and okay. amazing. But while you're there, as a comedian you and a help. satirist, you can't help but see 
the tropes that develop the 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 pitfalls of the space, the people trying to take advantage of that space and trying to take advantage of other people's trauma for you know their own kind yeah. of um, material gain. Um, okay, so they put the, the, poison. Po- the <laughs> frog poison on you, and then you start vomiting. Yeah, because like that's what this guy explained. Yeah. He was like, because I was like, are you going to trip balls? Like, what are you no. going to see? He's like, no, no, you're going to like descend into absolute pain and you're going to vomit. Yeah. And I was like, that sounds... Yeah, there's nothing so like kind of psychedelic about it. You know, <laughs> no, see, no. you literally just, your body feels like it's on fire from the inside throughout and then you, you just vom. start vomiting. Like Jesus. Vomiting. And the idea is that you are vomiting out your trauma. Is that the sort of loose... That's, yeah, basically... You, I mean, you, it's probably be put in a nicer way. And, uh, yeah, there's a whole... <laughs> but that's the so idea. You, you can do your own research. Yeah. Um, that, for me, the combo was quite harrowing for me. That's not something I would yeah. do again or, no. or recommend. <laughs> yeah, I saw him the other day and I was like, hey, you licked a frog recently? And he's like, technically you don't lick it? And I was like, well, never mind. <laughs> no, but it's, it's fascinating. Okay, so, so you went on that journey. Yeah. And you came out of the other side with some magical material. So much material and so much like, yeah, catharsis for myself. We found a lot of clarity through it. My, uh, uh, my ex and I decided, okay, the marriage isn't working. Okay. And through that process, we realized oh, what we're saving is the relationship rather than the marriage. Yeah. Which okay. was really beautiful. And we're now uh, happily separated, but we're still very much a family. So yeah. it, was a very, it was a very, very helpful process for me. And at the end of it, I also got to, to make this really great character that I think the core message behind him is, is that we are all so deeply flawed. Yeah. And we're all so deeply vulnerable. We're all so deeply damaged and broken. No one knows what the fuck is going on. Mm. No one has an idea of what's actually happening. Mm. Um, and if anyone speaks with any kind of certainty about anything, they're fucking lying. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've, I've, yeah, I, I, I felt that over the course of the play. I, I, I saw you bring all that. Oh, it was lovely. And there's that one moment where you turn around, turn to the audience, and you just go, "Fuck!" <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny because like half the audience like is happy and comfortable enough to laugh in that moment. The other part doesn't really know what's going on. I love that section of the show because you can see it because it really goes dark. Turns yeah. quite dark. And can be, we can we speak about the show to some yeah, degree? So I don't want to give too much no, away. No, we don't want to give too much away. But 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 there is a point at which the psilocybin starts to kick in. Yeah, and and the the healing ceremony goes a bit <laughs> awry <laughs> for you, for our shaman. And when you when you came in and you were like, what, what, who thought I should do two shows in one day?" And I can't remember whose idea was it. I don't even. know. It was it, my idea. I think it was your idea. It was my idea. Because like when when in Joburg. Um, but yeah, I, and that I, particular section of the show is physically incredibly demanding. Well, I, I was thinking that the whole time mm. because obviously the people who are watching the show maybe they haven't even they don't even comprehend the fact that you got to do this in a few hours. I knew that you needed to talk to me and do that in a few hours, and I was like, you you're not taking this thing to a hundred, <laughs> like you're going so far. I past only have it. one setting, Russell. I can't That's, help it. No, but it's incredible, and I think you're. 
just your timing of knowing when to ramp it up, knowing how to take it down, knowing how to go small, knowing how to go big. Exactly. And I think that's the that's what I love about the hour-long show is that I, I know the rhythms of a, of a good show. I know yeah. how to keep people engaged over an hour. So I know, like intuitively, I knew this guy has to have a bad trip at one point because that's going to change the dynamic of the yeah. show completely. No, and, and it's going to take it to a place that people are not expecting. In structure, you yeah, it's... it's I'm just thinking of my my film school experience. Even in something like a music video, which is only three minutes long, like you can get bored. Yeah, it's like you got to up it. Totally, two thirds of the way through a music video, something's got to change. Yeah, you got to add a new element, or you got to be in a new location, or you got to change the colors. You got to because people can also get bored. Yeah, totally. Um, what uh, what are some of the stuff you watched recently that you're enjoying? What would you want to watch more of? <sighs> film wise, mm. do you know that also I'm series? Um, do you consume? Stuff? I do, but you know what my my guilty pleasure is? Love it. Netflix sports documentaries. Yeah, I, I heard the quarterback one is great. Fuck, I finished. I smashed that one. That was smashed. Good. Point Break. I smashed uh, La Cour de Peloton, which is uh, the the. Um, do you know that the Tour de France is significantly bigger than anything else in world sport? Really? When, yeah, I, I didn't think what, in that. In terms of in viewership. Oh, and in terms wow. of like watching, oh wow! Um, I thought it would be like a Super Bowl, oh wow! Just by sheer numbers of America or like World Cup soccer. Apparently, Tour de France is the biggest sporting oh, event. That's crazy! In terms I of love, like television viewers, I love that series. It it, it, you know what I love about all of those series? It was the tennis one, the Formula One. Did you watch one, Drive to Survive? Drive, drive, that was my yeah. first one. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh my that's what got everyone in. Yeah, you could see totally. Netflix and clearly commissioned every other sport. Exactly. <laughs> and they've done it all in exactly the same way, which I'm like, love. I like the format. I'm here for it. Yeah. I just love, the, I love watching people operate um, at like the highest skill level possible. Yeah. And dealing with the stress that comes with that and the scrutiny that comes with that. Yeah. Fascinating, especially yeah, especially with Drive to Survive, how you could have this teammate. You say in inverted commas because they don't they don't fucking like being no. on a team. No. They want to beat each other. Yeah. They want to beat everyone. Yeah, I'm not here to play as a team. Yeah, and it's those interpersonal <laughs> dynamics and the and that shit that's more interesting to me than the actual sport. Like I yeah. don't watch Formula One. No, but I, I never watch gave the a series shit about yeah, yeah. you know the okay. behind the scenes kind of thing. So there's that. Uh, I watched a couple of good films on the plane back from London recently there's this one film After Sun or After the Sun After Sun with the the, the mm. dad and the daughter yeah I haven't seen it but oh. I, I, I saw a list of like the best movies of last year I think oh, it was last God. year it and, really and After Sun was number one it's beautiful it's okay. a beautiful piece of filmmaking deeply affecting like it stays with you a long time afterwards and it's it just happens at a pace that films don't happen at these uh, days. You know, it does. It, it it feels like watching a, an art house film like back in the nineties kind of thing. The thing okay. you'd go to the, you know, yeah. cinema nouveau for. Yeah, kind of yeah, thing. yeah. And and there's so few of those kind of movies these days because yeah. it's so kind of formulaic driven, even sure. more so than it's ever been. But there's this just this beautiful languid quality to this film where it feels like. Nothing's happening, but everything's happening at the yeah. same time. Yeah. And this relationship just unfolds. And then slowly but surely, you realize the enormity of what is actually, what happens okay. post 
what you see okay. and what you hinted at. It's, it's a, I don't want to give it away, but it's a okay. beautiful, beautiful film. No, it film. was number one on this cinema channel's list. Really beautiful film. Amazing. Okay. The, we have a theory on the video store that um, your um, emotions are more amplified in a plane and that you will, oh, really? you're going to react more emotionally <laughs> just what? by the biology of you being in the air. I'm fucking down with that. I'm it so makes into some that. sense, right? I get so emotional watching movies on a plane. <laughs> Dude, I think it's a credible theory. Ripped. I cried. Yeah. I cried so much. Um, Gad and Gad and um, Shortstraw. We we on one of our trips to Japan, we we said let's watch this movie together. As in, like we're both going to watch it oh, on our individual time, screens. Yeah. But if one of us needs to get up or go to the toilet, we're going to pause. pause at the same time. <laughs> and we were watching Inside Out. Oh, and if you remember the Bing Bong scene, yes, which is. And I just, I started crying. I look over to Gaddy, he's crying. Yeah. I called him Bing Bong for the next, <laughs> for the next two weeks. That was brutal. That was brutal. That Apparent, was brutal. Apparently the original cut was even more harrowing. Really? That's a toned down version. Oh my God. Yeah. No, that was, that was quite a, quite a scene. Old Bing Bong. Listen, man, I don't want to keep you for too long because I know you, um, you got to start. Got to get ready for the next one. Got to start Shit. getting ready. Uh, let me first tell you before you let me go about the films that I've got coming out this year. Runs in the Family okay. uh, is uh, actually was screening at uh, had its first screening premiere at uh, Diff oh, cool. yesterday. Oh, cool! Yeah, Durban is happening right now as yeah. we speak. Yeah, uh, in Gabriel directed Gabe Gabriel wrote and starred in the film. And you say it was called Runs in the Family. Runs in the Family. Um, okay. It's about. Uh, um, transgender child of this of this father who who um it's like a road trip okay transgender feel good coming of age coming of age cool. family kind of it's who, who are you i am i'm like an old connection of the dad of the okay. of the kid's dad um but there's 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 backstory to that, which okay. you'd have to watch the film to find out who I actually am in the context of all of that. Where is that going to be? Do you know? I think they. It was a niche. It's going to be on Netflix. Um, cool. But the apparently the Netflix execs were so excited by by it they were like, this has to do a festival circuit because it's just the get right. some get some laurels yeah. and get some exactly. So they're okay. going to do a, a festival circuit. I don't know for how long before that will then come out. I wonder whether we can try and do something at the Bioscope. Oh, you must. Mm. I'll put you in contact with, with Gabe. Yeah. Um, then there's another Ian Gabriel movie uh, that I shot called Death of a Whistleblower, mm. which is premiering at Toronto. Nice. Uh, I think that's what, that's next month or in a month or two's time. Uh, I can't remember exactly. Then what else is this movie, The Trek? I'm not sure where that's going to be, but I'm really looking forward to that. I had a lot of fun doing that. Cool. Such a great character, and it was, and it looks so beautiful. And to do like a period movie in the desert, horses, mm. longer, it's like it felt like being in a cowboy movie. What period? It's like the Great Trek. Great Trek period. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, that oh. was really great. Um, That's I think awesome. I'm missing something. I did a, a pilot for a TV show in Finland earlier this year. Which yeah, you were in Finland. Yeah, I, I, I've spent some time there. I was lucky enough to be a part oh, really? of a. A documentary exchange program when I was right at the end of varsity. Oh wow! It was magical. We arrived as spring started coming into. Oh wow! And of course, they they are so dictated by the seasons. Yeah. That um, when were you there? What time of the year? February. 
Okay. I, I've never been that cold in my life. <laughs> there, was a, there was some music festival that happened in the dark of winter, and, they, and the, apparently there was a big sign in the airport that just said, like, can't believe you're here for this festival, you crazy motherfucker, or something <laughs> like something in that like dry finish it's language. Great. I never experienced anything like that. It's like when you walk outside, you very quickly realize, oh, this is this is survival. Yeah, like this is a life and death situation. If I take a wrong turn or like get lost, well, I could you, die after. Well, you'll find this interesting. Like I've said to people in South Africa, there's the very real fear that there could be a smash and grab. Doesn't yeah. happen every street corner. If you had people going out into the night or coming home, there's a sense of like, will Rob get home safe? Message yeah. me when you get home. Yeah. Right? In Finland, <laughs> there is the very real fear You're that you could be so drunk <laughs> that you will fall asleep in the snow and die. And you would die. Yeah. Because you'd be so drunk that you'd hit a coma or you'd get this kind of drunk blanket. Yeah. Then you'd slip into something and in that you'd die. It's a it's a really yeah. real fear. No, for no, no. Them. I had a real sense of that. I was like, oh wow, if, I, if it's too long between this building and that building, yeah, I might not make it. Okay, it got warmer and warmer while I was there, and it was just delightful. There was just babies everywhere because that's you know everything that you can do in winter. <laughs> I'm dying to go back there in and summer, but if we if this com series gets commissioned that we shot the pilot of, okay, we're going back uh, from mid November to February, so okay. it's going to be the whole of oh, winter. God. Oh well, no. Try and try and get some some of that that spring love. There's a festival. Uh, their spring day um, is called Vapu, and it's Vapu, and it's three days of just fucking drinking. And did you find them to be a happy people? Because they're supposed to be the happiest nation on earth, and that was not no my experience. No, I think you caught them at their worst. Yeah. But even um, I I found them to be very direct and quite serious and. To the point where we were quite literal. Yeah, yeah. To the point where I actually, so so we were there to make a documentary, um, and as film students, so it was really cool to be in this foreign city and just be looking through the lens of a filmmaker, going, "Is that a cool story? Could that make a cool story?" And my one pitch, I nearly developed it to actually pitch was, "Do the Finnish have a sense of humor? Like, is there an actual sense of humor yeah. here?" Because South Africans, we use comedy. We yeah. need comedy. We've we've had that long tradition of this is how we're going to rationalize this crazy life yeah. that we live. And totally. you know, we, I, we I had a similar like I, there was no sense of irony. Yeah, in, in it. it's like all very literal. No, and they I take mean, everything at face value. Yeah, no, to the point where I was like, do they actually have a, a sense of humor? Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. So we found, and this is what we ended up making. You'd find this interesting. The film we ended up making was this short film called Mommy Drives a Cadillac. And what it was, was we saw a newspaper article or a magazine article about um, the unhappiest towns in Finland. Oh, yeah. And we said, well, what's number one? And it was this little random ass town called Piaksamaki. <laughs> and, and we were like, let's go there. Let's go to the unhappiest uh, wow. town in Finland. Why is it unhappy? You know, because it's, it's dullness, it's, there's nothing really there, it's a bit of a mining town or whatever, whatever. And we found this, this family that defied all the, all the, the, the characters. And they had 10 kids with like the 11th oh on the way. And, the, and they renovated no these old... They unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> we, no, but they were particularly happy. And, and they renovated these old American cars. And, ah. and it was so funny to, and, and so cool to see this 
family that was so happy in what was considered the unhappiest, unhappiest. town. That's great. So it was funny. I actually spent a lot of time thinking about the happiness of, of, of the, the people Finns. of Finns. The Finns. But well, no, he drives a Cadillac. Where can yeah. I see that? Oh, it's a little student film. It's okay. it's it's it's, it, it's, it to me. it's on a little shelf somewhere okay. in some right. some right. some uh, Finnish university. I think I should hopefully have a copy of it somewhere. No, it was charming. It is a student film. It's not it's not going to win any Oscars. Okay. But what well, didn't clearly. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but it was cool to see Finland. And like, let me tell you, and let's let's maybe end on this. They have it right. You you sauna, yeah, and you drink. Mm-hmm. And you eat sausage, and so you fall asleep, drunk, clean, and warm. <laughs> and that, my friend, that's is, the secret to happiness. Secret that's to why happiness. they're the happiest nation on yeah. the planet. Yeah. Okay, I get it. Yeah, it was in the darkness that I was there. Like I actually met this guy at a bar, and I was like, I said to him, like, you guys are supposed to be the happiest people, but that's not what I'm experiencing. He's like, you don't understand. <laughs> We are coming out of the darkness. <laughs> I was like, okay, wild. Yeah, it's like months of darkness. I mean, that That's does so surely affect you. No, we went to we we experienced the opposite. So we went to someone's house party, and by the time we're coming home, it's sort of two in the morning. Still getting light. the train, like it, the sun was rising. Yeah, it's crazy, was glorious. Yeah, it's mad. <laughs> All right, but listen, man, I um I think this has been such an honor. Thank you hosting for me you, as well, and and I just I'm glad that we could. Um, bring Joburg back to you. Yes, me too. In this, and I'm as I said, I'm so glad that just those kinds of shows that just made my life so special, um, or made it so special for me. Do you know, you know what I'm saying? Do you know that Electric Juju has been in development as an animation form for for years? Oh, yeah. We st- and we're getting places still. Oh, that might that might still actually happen oh, at some point. What a treat! Yeah, that'd be nice. No, and just yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for just bringing that. That magic here, and Thank and just you. helping, yeah, just set me on a course with all the amazing work that you've done. So I'm so happy for you. Thank you that you were in the right place at the right time, especially with this character. And I just wish you, yeah, just all the best with it. It's so it's such a delight. Thank you, my brother. All right, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. Is this is where we start kissing and and start putting our fingers yes. in each other's navels. Yes, <laughs> which funny blessings. enough, in in Finland, I met a, a German girl who taught me that a belly button is called a pochnabel. Here we go. That's what I'm pretty much doing in the show. Pochnabel. <laughs> and and one of my favorite moments. Sorry, just to quickly give one last little anecdote is that when you arrived, um, um, we as the venue needed to help you with some sound cues, which was great. We've got our manager who can sit on the side of the stage and cue the things. And we were like, okay, when are we playing this track? And you're like, okay, so there's a section in the play <laughs> where we're going to put our fingers in each other's belly buttons. <laughs> and we're both like, oh my God, this sounds amazing. And that's when you got to cue that track. And I was like, fuck, this is going to be great. My mouth, my mouth, my jaw is, is hurting. Yes. And I just love that. What a magic, what a magical thing to have witnessed. Thank you. All right. Cheers. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Goodbye. All right. What a good chat. What an oak. What an oak. Let me tell you, my my cheek, (laughs) my cheeks were were hurting after that performance at the bioscope. It was so good to laugh and smile like that again for a good hour and a half or however long it was the, um, the Namaste Bay shows 
I really, I'm so keen to, to catch them. I hope he comes back. Because, I mean, when he was twaki, yes. that was, I mean, I saw more than 10 of those shows. Did you go down to Grahamstown? Yeah, I first saw them in Grahamstown. I think it was probably the first show I saw at the first festival I went to. Grahamstown was special. Yeah. It set a, an, a, an exceedingly high expectation for everything else I saw that, that year. Oh, you saw Corne and Twaki's show first. It was the first thing I saw. Oh, wild! Yeah, okay. I don't know how it worked out that way, but yeah, it's special because it's it's silly humor, but it's rooted in so much more. Like you can see the intellect, you can see the thought, you can see how smart these performers are. That's really what makes it so special. Absolutely. And and the Namaste Bay character that Rob's created is no different. It's <laughs> it's ridiculous, but it's. You clearly know he understands it. And, of course, you can hear from the chat that he lived a lot of that firsthand, which is really what makes it so special, is that it's rooted in something, um, you know, real, which is great. Yeah, you know, those especially came out uh, during the pandemic, the healing and yeah. spiritualists. <laughs> <laughs> totally right. So much of it. <laughs> yeah, and that's what it's all playing fun of. So, yeah, good for him, man. I really want to see The Promise, which is this new play that he's going to be doing directed by sylvain strike so all of these all of this is is very like grahamstown top tier stuff yeah, and I've, that's going I've to be um, definitely later seen this year. him in some plays as well it's phenomenal yeah he's he's so good um so now that the story is a little more quiet we can chat through a few things i'd love to chat to you more about sound of freedom because you and i went to go and watch it as of now that this episode's come out, it is now in cinemas. But did it open? Now it's now it's in cinemas. Okay. Um, as of when this episode is is going to come out. Okay. Um, what did you think of it? I mean, so the, yeah, there was a lot of obviously leading up to the movie. I'd I'd been hearing a lot from more in the from political perspective. So I had. Yeah. It, it was a bit of a skewed perspective, but I mean, I went in, it was a pretty well-made, low-budget action movie that was harrowing. It told a story that no one wants to hear. Yeah, I think that's something I would like to take advantage of, a uh, little correction to what I said last week with Graham. I, I said it's a very average movie, but it's not. It's a It's a well-made movie. Yeah. So I was wrong to say that. Um, I mean, it's not winning any Oscars, and then it's it was a pretty solid for for what it is. Solid for, is a good example. Is for, a good for, the, word, yeah. for the story I try to tell, like I mean, upon doing research, you you see that this guy in real life did some of the things that were mentioned in the movie, but a lot of stuff was very very embellished. But it's a movie; they're trying to make a movie. This happens all the time, sure. and you've got to just understand that this is for entertainment. Yeah, and I think what this film ultimately was up against was the fact that it was a small film, a small budget, where they don't have this production, huge marketing um, engine behind it. And then it's subject matter, which is exposing people to the extent of slavery, modern day slavery, which comes in all forms, be it sweatshop, be it sex slavery, and it's basically saying that at now, at today's point, we have more people in slavery than any other time in history, which is a generalistic term, but still 
quite harrowing. But people, yeah, they don't want to know those sorts of things. Yeah, and, and so that's ultimately <coughs> what this film was up against. It was up against mainstream media going, oh, this is a bit depressing. <laughs> and but, and that's ultimately, and also it being a small uh, production film. So that's ultimately what this film was up against. So the fact that it's done as well as it has is incredible. I think the main thing that mainstream media were pushing against the movie is that it's trying to spread the message that that's what the focus of child abduction and child sexual exploitation is, where in essence 99% of child exploitation comes from parents or family members. But that that's just the exploitation of it. That's just, yeah. that's that's and kids getting that's kidnapped misconduct and stuff. Where where this, this film is, is more about the movement of human, mm, not no, what we sure. do with them. But yeah, I think they they try to suggest that it's bigger than it actually is in comparison to what is essentially bigger bigger problems when it in terms of sure. ch- children getting kidnapped. Like I say, it's it's still something that needed to be said. But another interesting thing. This movie was made in 2018. Oh, wild. Yeah, and they just couldn't sell it. Apparently, they sent, went to Disney, they went to Netflix, and everyone said no. And because it's, yeah, because it's kind of quite harrowing. And eventually, they got this Angel Studios. Okay, so the film had already been made. Yeah. Interesting. Ages ago. And that's why, so it had been made so long ago. And then during the pandemic, Jim Caviezel was going around the QAnon circuits and talking about taking blood from kids and then then, and then this movie gets a distributor and Jim Caviezel's got this reputation as being this QAnon person and then it just became political and it's so stupid okay yeah um taking blood from what so it was a something that was mentioned in fear and loathing in Las Vegas he takes something called adrenochrome and he makes a passing comment oh, you can only get it from pedophiles so the, the 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 conspiracy is that these rich people they take the blood of children when they like frightened because they release this some this thing called adrenochrome. Yeah, which is all bullshit. It's all bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adrenochrome is apparently very easy to get. You don't need kids. Okay. And they that's how they stay young. The Hollywood elites. That's why they look so young because they all take adrenochrome. Oh my god! That's, okay, so, right. that, so that's, no, that's, that's a whole other. Yeah, that's one of the yeah. QAnon conspiracies. But that's the one Jim Caviezel was pushing. Being, Legitimately, like you were seeing yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They was at a conference and he zoomed in at, from the conference and he's just going on about adrenochrome and the Hollywood elite and it's just like, oh, okay, goodness. yeah. Right. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> at the core of this film is a is a very good message, and at the core of the film is. A very uh, interesting push and and way to get people into cinemas that perhaps wouldn't have normally gone. The pay it forward The pay it forward thing. And I think that's really helped this film. And at the core of it, if it is just exposing, like it did for me, and it probably did for you, just the fact that this is happening out there, that there is this extended network of traffickers, and that there is this amount of people in slavery, like that's interesting. Absolutely. And and awareness is certainly not going to solve it, but it is a start. 100%. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, that's that then. <laughs> I think let's not get into more things about I, I could talk for way too long about kids this. Kids' blood. This, this, Jesus Christ. That's hectic. Okay. Um, Ninja Turtles. What did you think? Yeah, it was it was fun. Like like it wasn't for, wasn't for me. Mayhem. Yeah, we, we, we agreed that. Yeah. Last week on the show that it was for kids. And so I wanted to know Corbin loved it. Cool. Because yeah. So Gad, that is that is my girlfriend's son. 
mm-hmm. seven years old, and he had the best time. Yeah. That's the most important thing. 100%. And do you think that this could start the love for Ninja Turtles for like a new generation? Uh, I mean, you know, when There's we... so w- much going on. There, yeah, when we, ha- when we were young, like there was only Ninja Turtles. I mean, what else did we really have? Now yeah. there's like a There's thousand just too things. many. It's going to be tough, but I, I, don't, I don't think they've done... They've twisted it enough to like make it make as big an impact as it did when I was a kid. But, yeah. But it's, it's, yeah, I hope it does well in the box office. And then we get cool. the animation style was cool. Just that idea of having movies with that, something different. I don't know. Everything yeah. was just looking the same. Yeah, there was that Pixar look, which you can definitely see that a lot of films recently have tried to um, rage against. Yeah. And so this was definitely even, this was even more sketchier and stranger than... This felt like a comic that was alive. That yeah, was. yeah. That's that was the idea was that it was based on on kiddies' drawings, like little, like the kind of drawings mm. that these sixteen year old kids would have done. Mm. Okay, magic. Um, I want to share some of the stuff I've been watching. Cool. Um, I wanted to tell you about Fisk. 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 F I S K. It is a indie, like small little comedy set in Australia. I think it's in Melbourne. Okay. It gives me very much a kind of Parks and Rec vibe. It's not uh, oh, that style. Okay. It's not the documentary the style. But it is, at the core of it, back of the box, is a sort of woman in her 50s odd, come from a law background, has had this shakeup in her marriage, change, she needs a job, um, and she starts working at like a quirky, tiny little law firm. They do like wills and probates, but there's like a kooky dude at the reception, the bosses. And so that's why I mean, it's kind of similar to Parks and Rec in the sense that it's this little office, kooky characters, people come in. She's a quite a strong, interesting, quite determined woman. It's a little situational, the fact that things go wrong and sometimes it can escalate a bit and perhaps that's a little cringy. But you'd find this interesting. We finished it. Oh. We finished the season. That, that is on happen. Netflix. And that's something you've exposed once, is that that's probably the biggest metric in Netflix. Yeah. It's not how many people watch episode one. It's the follow-through. It's the follow-through. And we found ourselves following through. Yeah, that's why 1899 just got cancelled, because people watched one or two. And I didn't even and... finish the first episode of that. Still. So you fell into the minority there. Yeah. But Fisk is great, and it's I think it's in the top 10, the last is I checked. It, is it an Australian-made show? It's an Australian-made, which, okay. once again, often when you see these smaller Southern Hemisphere stuff, like Australian film or uh, New Zealand stuff, similar budgets, similar you know, TV stars to what we have, um, that could have been made here. Okay. We could have made Fisk in South Africa. She could have been in Blum. Or she could have been in Durban. She could have been anywhere. Okay, I'm and it's it just out. a great character piece. It's funny. It's quite witty. It's quite quick. You don't get enough Australian stuff. And it's ultimately fun and a little lighthearted. And I need that. Hmm. <laughs> I'm struggling to take a big bite out of big dramatic shows. Do you remember so, the, the castle? Have you no. seen the castle? No. Oh, it's, it's, that's one of my favorite Australian movies. It's about this family who live right next to the airport. And they refuse to sell their house to the airport because they want to expand. Okay. 
and it's just them like man's house is his castle oh it's so good oh okay no i love seeing those kinds of things and i love reminding the the creators the film creators and the guys that are coming up with you know the kind of content that netflix could hopefully buy from south africa that you could do this kind of stuff you can make these simple fun character shows why so serious man yeah no fuck that man <laughs> Uh, so really enjoying that. Then uh, only only murders in the building. Yes, I speaking saw, to something bigger and a little more higher budget. Mm, no, I saw these two episodes, but yeah, I've it's, yeah. And so we started that. It's great. You've got Paul Rudd kind of playing this like diva version of himself. <laughs> like he's been in these larger than life action movies. It's very ridiculous. Um, so only murders in the building is now in its third season. It's on Disney Plus. So sorry, Fisk is on Netflix. Yes, by the way. If that wasn't clear. Uh, Only Murders in the Building is on Disney+. Plus. It is uh, Martin Short. Steve Martin. Steve Martin and Selena Gomez. Selena Gomez yeah. And it's uh, about this unlikely group um, of friends, these three that find themselves friends because they all live in this old, cool, uh, historic building in New York. And there's a murder in the building and it so happens that they end up making a podcast about it. Because they were all obsessed about podcasts and then they got together. And so they started yeah. making a podcast and so then it was bizarre that it happened again in the building and so that's where the name comes from is that they'll only make a, a, an episode about a murder that happens in the building. Um, and uh, and yeah, don't want to give too much more away. But it's smart. First it's two quippy. seasons were great. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, part of me is just maybe going to hold back and then blitz through them all in two days or something. Okay. I, I don't know if I can wait week by week. Okay. Yeah, I've got I've got one one and a half more seasons left of Rebels, Star Wars in anticipation of Ahsoka. Yeah. It's, you've been uh, you've been clapping the Star Wars uh, stuff on Disney is, Plus. It's been 6 months of preparation for this show that might be good. What do you mean? You you preparing by watching all this other stuff? So yeah, the, this series is called Ahsoka. She's a character that wasn't in any of the movies. She was only in the cartoon shows. Yeah, and why I think she stuck out in people's heads is that she was the very bizarre-looking woman. She looked a little bit like the singer in The Fifth Element. She had like tubes, yeah, tubes tentacles. coming out of her head. She was initially, I think people didn't really like her. She was a 14-year-old Jedi apprentice, so she was a bit annoying. But people okay. grew to absolutely love her. And then she made her live action appearance in the man in Boba Fett, actually. Okay. And then it, when it came out that the series was coming out. Now she's been given her own series. She's been given her own series, which is technically a direct spin-off of Rebels. Okay. So no, I, but no, yeah, yeah, I'm, it's, I'm, it's, a, it's a lot. It's so it's so these much. are these are many buses that are Shooting but, past but me. But like I, I say, for six months, I've been watching like two or three Star Wars episodes a day. It's, <laughs> it's, it's insane. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, there were over... Is Re Rebels isn't live action. No, it's all animated. It's all animated. So that was on Cartoon Network. Okay. Initially. And or, now Ahsoka, is that going to be a live that's action? That's live show? action. Okay. So they're saying, from what I understand, Ahsoka's going to be Rebels season five. So Rebels stopped on season four. Okay. So it's going to be a like... So I have to, to appreciate and understand... I, I, I don't know. I'd probably I could have just watched the twenty minute video on YouTube to okay. catch up, but no, this is my life now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So is that when is that starting? I think August twenty seventh or twenty sixth. Okay. On Disney Plus. And, and is is Ahsoka going to be for adults? 
Yeah, is it yeah, like yeah, this is Andor and Boba Fett? I don't and, think Andor's a bit more kind of drama, okay. but, but this is more Boba Fett, Mandalorian. It's in that universe, okay, and in that time period. All right. Um, there's another film um, on Netflix that I want to see. I haven't seen it. Called Big Nunu's Little Heist, <laughs> which is made by friends, people that we know, people we've dealt with at the Bioscope. Um, Robbie Thorpe, who has an episode deep in the early days of the video store. Yeah, I remember that he came episode. on. He's a he's the producer of this. Is he in it as well? No, he's a producer. Okay. So he's he's very much in the in the making of. Um, then a guy by the name of Andy Casseroles is the director. Andy uh, is also known as the Admiral. He's a. I do know he's him. A, he's a famous he a DJ, DJ. Yes, at the the reggae night. So Andy, so the admiral, and a guy called Akin, Akin Omotoso, who's a, a Nigerian-born um, director, who's now in LA. He's now big time. Um, they hosted a TV show that existed on some platform. I forget. I think it was SABC or Mnet. It was a, a while ago. Umzanzi Magic, I forget, where it was them sitting in the bioscope seats and they had like a film review show. So Andy <laughs> okay. like certainly knows his film. I mean, he's a music DJ, but he certainly knows his film. So to have him make a film uh, is quite exciting. Okay. And it looks cool. It looks fun. <laughs> no, no. Big Nunu's Little Heist. Wow. Okay. Uh, so that's on Netflix now at the moment. I'm quite keen to see that. Then um, there's another film coming out to cinemas called Last Voyage of the Dementor. Have you seen anything about this? I haven't. Okay, so we we love having the distributors that we work with invite us to these um, premieres. And so this one's coming up. And sometimes these smaller films, especially in the cinema world, get a little bit lost because, you know, we have big Marvel movies, big, big things happening. And so sometimes these films get a little lost. So they want us to um, come and watch this film. It looks like another Dracula remake. It, it's Dracula linked. So I don't know whether it's this part of... This is adapted from Dracula. Yeah. So the $37 million budget. So it's relatively small. Yeah. It's got one of the guys who you'll recognize from Game of Thrones. And by the looks of the trailer, uh, it's set in an older sort of couple of centuries ah, ago yes, Dementor old, is the boat mm, the old guy who couldn't read and the old the little girl taught him to read yeah yeah um Dementor is the name of the boat okay. and they are going somewhere on a voyage and all of a sudden shit goes sour with things being eaten <laughs> and so there's clearly okay. this other force on board so it looks interesting okay I'm not a horror dude I like, like horror. F- from watching the trailer, I was like, this this looks cool. And it's kind of set on a boat. So it's using its budget carefully and wisely. Mm. Um, if Graham's keen, I'm, I'm keen. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. So I really wish leave, I could leave be there. Then, <laughs> I'm going to be away. So I'm going to miss this, this this premiere. But you guys go to it. Hopefully it happens. And, and you guys let us know what you think. Definitely. Okay. Magic, my guy. So um, another little thing I wanted to chat about. Just a fun little thing for the next 10 minutes, just to say, just to wrap up today, is um, we are starting this format where we are going into our guest chats, trying to um, have a little bit of a structure. Okay. And you've seen it, right? Yeah, yeah. And funny enough, 
this episode now with Rob Van Furen was was the early thinking of that. Now it's a bit more obvious when I when I interview guests. But the idea is to take a little walk through their life and at certain key points try and pin what movies were key to them at certain points in their life. Because I think that's quite revealing of what's going on in their life. It, it helps you kind of figure out them. I think it's an interesting format. It's like a little guiding path. Mm. So then we thought it could be cool to have a, sort of a, a, a name for these films, a name for the, these periods in your life. And I found a quite a cool metaphor, which is this metaphor of um, the kinds of relationships you are in mm. at the moment, at that point in your life. So the first film, and I wanted to now get this sense from you, because now that we've found this cool format, okay. I haven't tested it. I haven't there. tested it on you. Because okay. I now know this is my way of getting to know you, despite you and I seeing each other every week for the last <laughs> decade with the band. Um, but perhaps this can help me understand you a bit better. All okay. right. So, so the, first, the first kind of love you have in your life is your puppy love, all right, which is when you're young. You're very young. This is the innocent love that um, you are excited if you can hold hands. Okay, you may be going on your first date. Maybe you go to the putt-putt or watch a movie. But it's the film that you had a puppy love relationship with. Does that make sense? Mm. So it's the film that, you, that, that came along that was your first love, your first, your first innocent great love. What do you think that film was for you? So, so very early on, my, I used, my dad used to rent videos yeah. um, and he used to make copies of them. He found a way to, to yes. do that. So very early memories I have are watching like Smurfs okay. and the He-Man TV series. But I wonder that first He-Man movie, Masters of the Universe in the 80s, I think I must have watched that just over and over and over again. Okay. It's, it's God awful. <laughs> like I watched, I watched it again recently and it is like... Yeah, yeah, sure. Not the cinematic masterpiece you remember it. But yeah, I used to. Like, I remember absolutely loving MacGyver, and then I remember someone saying, "Don't watch it now. Keep him a hero in your head." <laughs> and you did, you did you try watch it? No, I don't okay, want to. Okay, I want to keep him a hero. Yeah. No, he's a hero in my head. I, I don't want to change I, that. I never did MacGyver. I, like I remember Highlander used to be a thing. Was that a, like a show that was on Friday? Highlander nights? was a show. I never watched it. Yeah, I used to watch Highlander. I never watched MacGyver. MacGyver was fucking awesome. Remember everything about it. Which is very much about I even had the same haircut. I remember sitting in the hairdresser going, I want a MacGyver. I want a MacGyver. And only like a good few decades later did I remember that and go, Oh my god, I was asking for a mullet. Because that's what he had. He had a full blown mullet. Yeah. Um okay, then things get a little more um serious. Love is still there still deep love all of these are deep loves but you are now a little older you're now crushing your this is the sweet 16 film where you, you you're crafting your personality a bit more it's not it's it's not as innocent what, what do you think that film was for you your sweet your your high school crush movie amelie high school russell people everyone else I was in house i would Everyone else in high school. No, you're right. That is my high school film. Yeah. I specifically remember in high school, like when I was 16, 17, everyone else is like, what are we going to do on Saturday night? What are we going to go watch? We 
had to book Amelie a month in advance because it was sold out like every weekend. It was high school for us. Yes. Yeah. It was like 2001 it came out. Yeah. Yeah. And like that, that, that was the time when I was getting into art house movies and like that sort of thing. And like Amelie for me just always stuck in my mind as like peak like of my movie growing experience. And like yeah. how I learned to appreciate movies came from that. But so are you saying everyone else was? So like everyone, like, like everyone else is like, where are we going to go hang out and stand outside in the mall? And yeah, we yeah, like, yeah. We like, classic, w- classic high school hang. We're trying to get tickets at Cinema Nouveau. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, funny enough, I remember that being the thing is that, yeah, as, as a high school kid, you'd, you'd just go to the mall to hang, right? Mm. You had a couple of objectives, which was like, maybe try and get a little bit of alcohol, not get drunk because yeah. it was impossible because you didn't get enough. But you'd just go stand maybe, by the mall. Maybe you'd try and smooch someone. Maybe you try touch a boob yeah do whatever you could you just, um, you just linger in the but you kind of hung around and did fuck all yeah, yeah 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 and i remember at one point also in high school going guys let's at least do something let's root the night in one activity like let's go somewhere for it to try and get a drink or like let's let's watch a movie and then we can hang out like we can't just hang out and do fuck all the whole time no like some i people every no, saturday no, night no, no, just no. suck sands and city they just go stand there well i was uh i was of the era when monty got built in the height of my no, that was your mall ratting so so monty was at least kind of adventurous it looked kind of cool you felt like you were in Europe. No, I <laughs> remember. you were still standing around doing fuck all. No, I, I'm like, my, we had to still rely on my dad to come and fetch us, but he wouldn't come late. So sure. we had to like slot in an eight o'clock movie and dinner and like wolf down. That's how I learned to wolf down my food because like as I'm finishing my dad's like, I'm here, you've got two minutes. Oh, <laughs> shit. Okay, so that's your, that's your high school crush. Then there's the let's get serious or things are starting to get serious. We've got to figure out the right wording, but that's the that's your varsity start work film so i mean i did go to film school yeah but i think you know one movie that honestly like blew my mind while i was at film school was the prestige christopher nolan oh okay and i've been thinking about that a lot lately because everyone's with oppenheimer everyone's going on about nolan and talking about his great movies no one's talking about the prestige which is genius it's like low budget was such a simple movie i remember memento in varsity (coughs) You know that was his first one, and that's like the the real, the real concentrated film where you really have to pay attention, and it's super hyper, hyper quite polluted. And I, I neither, I don't think I watched it a second time, and I, I need yeah. to watch it again. Yeah, that, that was quite a complicated film. That's very arty. That's very, but prestige. Prestige was, was a little more. It was so accessible. straightforward initially. And then when you watch it, I went back and watched it. And every time I watch it, I'm like, oh my God. And, and I recently watched um, a breakdown, all the yeah. Easter eggs you missed. And I'm like, it's genius. Yeah. It's genius. Wild. Okay. No, that's a good one. I, I, I appreciate that. And then the last one we have is the, is the sort of settle down. I'll, I'll, I'll marry you <laughs> kind of film, which is, you know, it could be your high school sweetheart. You could go, you could be with that one all the time, or there could be something else. But this is the film that you mm. could that you could stay with forever, that you could watch forever. You, yeah. my goodness, <laughs> maybe Emily. I mean, maybe Emily. That's what it is for me. I mean, I could definitely watch that over and over, but like, it'd have to be a Star Wars movie. Okay, but now which Star Wars movie? <laughs> okay, no, but it can just be Star Wars in general. The, yeah, what the the original three. Yeah, it would either it would probably be Empire or A New Hope, the first, the original one that started everything. All right, no, well, that makes sense. 
Yeah. All right, my caddy. Let's uh, let's turn off the lights and go home. Yeah. It's been a nice little hang, and it's been a great day. And thank you for everyone listening thus far. Um, we will see you again next week. Most definitely. Yeah. Our uh, our home base is the video store.co.za. There you can um, find your platform if you don't uh, have it already. And, and please uh, give us a subscribe. We are posting more and more stuff in all the other social media platforms on YouTube, um, Instagram, TikTok even. I can't believe it. But we're going for it on TikTok. Gettles is TikToking now. Jess has, you, take, Jess has become obsessed now. Yeah, you, you're a TikToker now, Gad. <laughs> she's like, how many plays did we get? And she's like, gets, gets a rush. It's, it's kind of an addictive thing. But yeah, no, it, it's been a good platform for us to share what we are referring internally to as our soundbite videos, which is one or two little um, minute episode, little conversations that we are turning into videos, which we are posting as reels on Instagram and on TikTok. And the Mona one went viral. Yeah. As they say. No, it really did. It's f- like 42,000 views on TikTok, <laughs> which is amazing. So hopefully the, all of that comes back to us and, and we find more listeners and, uh, and we have you guys keep coming back because we've got great episodes lined up and uh, we really hope you enjoyed this one. And um, yeah, we'll see you again next week. Yeah. Cheers. All right. Cheers, Gary. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>